You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. We live. This is Locked On Hornets, your daily podcast on the Charlotte Hornets and the NBA. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Search your podcast apps for Locked On to get podcasts on the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball, and fantasy sports. Visit our new website, LockedOnSports.com, for all that the network has to offer. I'm Doug Branson. I cover the Hornets for FanRagSports.com. We are coming to you from the Gittimer.com studios in BEA, beautiful uptown Charlotte, and I'm joined by my co-host, the man, the myth, the legend. He's been covering the Hornets since they were the Bobcats for AtTheHive.com, David Walker. That's right, Doug, but now I go by head coach, interim head coach of the moments. Made my coaching debut last night in the second half, Doug, and uh, engineered quite a comeback. It was mostly coaching. For your... Rec league, it's is it rec league? Is men's league? It's men's league. Men's league team. The moment. The moments. Last shining moments, Doug. That's right. Fourteen down, fourteen in the second half. Decided to take myself out of the mix. uh, Do more of you know, play some play some chess with the rest of the guys out there, and uh, it worked. So your best your best coaching move was becoming coach and not and, and stopping being a player. All the greats have to know when it's time to get in the fray and when it's time to just take a step back. It's it's. Uh, I know what Bill Russell went through uh, back in the day now, so I can relate. There you go. Uh, we yeah. got a good show for you. We're going to continue to talk about Mitch Kupchak, the new general manager and president of basketball operations. He was introduced uh, yesterday, or excuse me, two days ago, and so we will continue to look through some of his comments, discuss his thoughts on the NBA draft, and uh, he started the press conference by discussing his relationship with his new boss, the owner, Michael Jordan. There's been a lot of conversations about Michael Jordan and Mitch Kupchak, their relationship, their the ties that bind the Tar Heel Blue. So we will discuss that. And also Steve Clifford yesterday giving uh, the media some comments, the end of season sort of wrap up review and that's what mode we're in right now. We are wrapping up uh, our coverage of this past season. So over the next uh, couple of weeks or so, you're going to hear uh, recaps on uh, each player, head coach, general manager, sort of the personnel moves. We'll break it all down for you over the next few weeks, uh, as well as draft coverage as we approach June. Find out what pick exactly the Hornets will be making. And uh, Mitch Kupchak, the new general manager, gave his views on the NBA draft. And this is important because two of the big reasons, David, that the Hornets gave for bringing in Mitch Kupchak, one of those was talent evaluation. This was a little yes. bit, I think, of a reaction to to the Rich Cho era. They wanted to go in a slightly different direction uh, in terms of talent evaluation. And that's what Mitch Kupchak Yeah, Doug, and he mentioned a lot about that in his opening press conference. You know, said he'd been at all these college games over the last year or so, been at NBA games, and is looking for not only how players perform on the court, but what they do when they come off the court, how they interact with the head coach, the other players, you know, all this little stuff that only executives, head coaches, and basketball people probably look at during the course of a game. So I think that's interesting to hear from him 
his approach is that he's going to be out. He's going to be looking at prospects, looking for talent, kind of getting down into the nitty gritty of things. And I don't know if it's necessarily a complete move away from analytics. I think that would be unfair to describe it that way. But certainly Mitch Kupchak believes in the power of what he called in the press conference gut instinct. He says it's always been a big part of talent evaluation, putting yourself in front of players and watching the player, watching the player walking to the bench, watching how he responds to a coach, scouting games. Uh, To me, that's uh, the biggest factor. Mm -hmm. So again, it represents a a departure or at least a new, maybe a new wrinkle would be a better way to describe it, uh, that they can add to their evaluation of this draft talent. And I mean, if you look over his draft history, David, you know, he was he was at the helm of a Lakers team that was not drafting very high in the first round very often. I mean, if you look over his tenure from 2000 to 2005, not many first round picks that were even in the top 20. I mean, he was picking a lot of, you know, 27, 29, 24 and then you get to 2005, and he selected Andrew Bynum 10th. And for a while there, b- before he sort of unraveled, that looked like a possible championship resetting move. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. All-NBA all team one year. Right. So, And Ronnie Turioff in the second round of that, of that mm-hmm. uh, draft as well. So that was a nice pickup. He was a role player there for uh, Los Angeles for a while. And then he, he nabbed Marc Gasol in the second round of the 2007 draft. Now he would use Marcus all to, uh, along with Kwame Brown and I believe Javaris Crittenden, who was the first round draft pick that year, he would use that package to get Pau Gasol to set up that championship run uh, and get Kobe Bryant the help he needed. Um, but he did, you know, at least he did see the talent of, of Marcus all in the second round. So that's, that's a positive. Uh, Patrick Beverly, I believe that was a traded selection in the second round of 2009, uh, but that's another name. And then uh, we have to get all the way up into the current era of Lakers basketball, 2014, 2015, and 16, when he selected Julius Randle, seventh overall, D'Angelo Russell, second overall, and then Larry Nance Jr., who now plays for Cleveland, uh, but he looks like he could be a future maybe not star in this league, but certainly an impact player, 27th overall, and then uh, Brandon Ingram, second overall in 2016. So you have to get up into you know the last little section of his tenure with the Lakers, but he did make some nice selections. I, I, think, I think you would have to probably go trades, draft, and then free agency if you were to rank where he found the most success with Los Angeles. But, but draft, I think, would not be – too far behind trades in terms of setting the Lakers up for whatever comes next for them. Right. And where do the Hornets have to score? You know, where do they have to produce? More where have they not have? done a great job of, of exactly. adding talent in, in the past five to seven years? And that's the NBA draft. Right. Exactly. So, and, and, and you know, we've talked about, them not having many other moves as it stands today, right? Like we don't know what trades are going to happen, but if they don't do anything else, they're going to have to get some additions through the draft. So I think you're right. I mean, the talent evaluation and the ability to draft these guys is certainly something that they were looking at, I would think, and that he brings to the table. 
All right, short pause. We're going to come back and talk about, continue to talk about Mitch Kupchak, his relationship with team owner Michael Jordan. I know a lot of people out there are passionate about this subject. They're worried. They're concerned that Michael Jordan has once again brought in a buddy to helm the organization. But is that the case? We'll examine that and much more. We've got comments from Clifford coming up as well. You're, listen, you're listening to Locked On Hornets here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets Podcast. Thoughts on the news about Cody Zeller's injury? That's a tough one, man. I mean, what the Dude. Uh-oh. He's just injured, man. It's, it's okay. okay. It's look, just, you know, he's injuries just having to deal happen. With an injury. He didn't want <laughs> to get injured, okay, David? But, but uh, Sorry, guys. I just had someone jump out in front of my vehicle. That's uh, That was understanding. Only on the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. So, David, here's what we know about the new general manager, Mitch Kupchak. He was the target of this search for a new front office leader for several weeks, for a long time. The Hornets have had their eye on him. And a little over a week ago, they made the offer to Mitch Kupchak. And then uh, three or four days ago, that offer was, was signed, sealed, and delivered, and he became the general manager. But he was you know, the reported consensus pick for the Charlotte Hornets. And as soon as his name started to pop up, a lot of people immediately made the connection that, hey, Mitch Kupchak went to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, played basketball there. Hey, didn't Michael Jordan, the owner of the Charlotte Hornets, play basketball at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill? And there is a there is a subset of people, David, that then proceeded to be upset by that, that it was once again Michael Jordan uh, basically filling his inner circle with people that were connected to him in some way and and would and would do his bidding. That's a popular it's a popular thought. Yeah. But yeah. but the beginning of this press conference, David, Mitch, he did begin the press conference with a story about how he met Michael Jordan. Uh, and, and that was at the uh, 82 championship, uh, national championship, Final Four, that's what they call it, in New Orleans. <laughs> and and Bill Guthridge, the assistant coach at the time under Dean Smith, basically introduced Michael Jordan to Mitch Kupchak. And there was a, a cute little anecdote in there about how, you know, Bill Guthridge was like, oh, this guy's going to be somebody someday. And okay. So, but he tells this story, David, to say that after that, they were really just acquaintances. They were not, you not call them friends. Do you do you buy that? That they were just kind of occasional golf buddies. Hey, we both went to Carolina. We're both in the league. How do you do? I do. I mean, like I said the other day, I've never seen a picture of them together. <laughs> I'm sure there's one out there, but I didn't really hear them running in the same circles or, you know, certainly they're, I don't know that their crowds were the same. Uh, obviously, MJ was on a different level once he ascended to the player that he came to be. And Mitch was a front office guy. So, I mean, I think that was their dynamic for most of their careers. Um, so the Carolina thing, 
lays the groundwork, I think. But, you know, I don't know why he would get up there and say we're not friends. Uh, or if they were really tight friends, you think MJ might have been there, which, as you said yesterday, would have would have set off a whole nother subset of fans. So, so, so yeah, I, I don't know how much their history, uh, their personal history, you know, relationship played into this. And, like, uh, you know, it doesn't look like they've been that tight for, for that long other than the, the North Carolina connection. Yeah, so Mitch Kupchak ended his Carolina career in 1976. So that was three or four years before Jordan ever stepped foot onto yeah. the Carolina campus. So they did not that and I say that I almost I take that for granted, but I think there are a lot of people out there that think that Kupchak and Jordan played together at Carolina. That's not true. <laughs> they didn't play together. Uh that the first time they met was 82. I feel like we need to do kind of a serial and inv- type of investigation. We should just start a podcast that is a limited run series that just investigates the relationship between uh Mitch Kupchak and Michael Jordan. Yeah, we we'll get a lot of we we'll get a lot of ratings, and uh, it is it is interesting though that he did mention uh, in this same press conference that he has known Curtis Polk and Buzz Peterson for more than two decades. He's known them for twenty nine years. He said each, and Buzz Peterson very close to Jordan. Curtis Polk, as we've said before, is colloquially known as Michael Jordan's right hand man and has been for a very long time. So he does know. He is acquainted with those two gentlemen as well, so I don't know. I'll leave that. I'll leave that to our future limited run series, uh, where we figure out if Michael Jordan and Mitch Kupchak are indeed friends. But he did say that he's looking forward to building a friendship with Jordan. And why does any of this matter? Why does it matter if they're friends or not friends? Because there is uh, this perception that has borne itself out. I think in in previous drafts. And, and decisions that people go, hey, wait a minute, is this Michael Jordan, the, the basketball-obsessed owner, making his thoughts known, and not only known, but sort of influencing the decisions that are made in, in the draft and in free agency? And Mitch had to address that question as well at the press conference. You know, how, how would that influence, how would that influence of, of having Michael Jordan as owner uh, um, shape his decisions. And here's what Mitch said, quote, he's the owner of the team. Every Everybody reports to somebody. I report to Michael. I'm sure I'll have an opinion. I'll seek out his opinion. I know he watches games. I know he comes to these games. He's really been a fan of college basketball. I would hope that most of the time we're on the same page, or there may be a couple of times we're not. Then he may look at me and say, you know, we don't quite see eye to eye on this, but you do what you think is best. Or he may look at me and say, we don't see eye to eye on this one. This is my decision, and that's his right as an owner. <laughs> it's all in play. All of those scenarios could happen, Doug. Well, it speaks to the complexity of the relationship between anyone who works under an owner that is a former player. We've talked often about how this is an odd situation. You don't have many former players, especially players of Jordan's stature, with this much power in an organization. And, and that's a reality. And there's also this reality that he owns the team. So, and right. Mitch spoke to this, like everyone has a boss. Now you can, again, you can disagree with, 
with what that influence does, and you can have you can have the opinion that you can have the opinion that that influence will keep the Charlotte Hornets franchise in a certain place uh, and, and keep it from achieving greatness. But it doesn't change the reality that it doesn't matter if it's Mitch Kupchak or Rich Cho or Gerson Rosas. If the owner wants to make a decision about basketball, then it gets made. Yeah. And, you know, I think Mitch Kupchak is used to navigating the front office and and working with other people in there in a collaborative effort. I mean, for so many of his years, he was working under Jerry West, right? So, I mean, there was a collaborative effort there and there was a collaborative effort here, I think, with Cho and MJ and, and Clifford as well. Uh, during the show tenure. So, yeah, I mean, it, those dynamics are going to happen, but you're right. I mean, as we've seen here, this is a unique situation. And anytime anything goes wrong, anytime something does not work out, uh, you know, MJ gets most of the blame anyway. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if that continues to play out that way. I think a lot of it will depend on what Mitch Kupchak has to say, you know, what he's presented with after the fact, after some of these things happen. And, uh, you know, Rich Cho, they never really delved into that in, in, the, in the other regime. They never really gave us a peek behind the curtain as to who had the final say. And I don't know if that's going to change at all. You know, I mean, I don't know if they're going to break rank this time around and say whose final call it was. Um, so I don't know if we'll see that much of a change. But you have to believe that Mitch came back to prove somewhat of a point as well. Like his run in LA. Though he did say on WFNZ that he has nothing to prove. Okay. Well, that's fine. Uh, That's what he said. No, I I agree with you though. I think there is a level of, Hey, I was with an organization for a long time. Now I'm out and I want to get back in and see if, if I can do something. I think that's realistic to assume that you're making an assumption here, but I think it's a realistic assumption to make. And certainly he doesn't have anything to prove in terms of accolades, in terms of winning championships. But sure. I mean, everyone in that business, you know, in the sports business, is competitive enough to want to take another shot at something. And so, wouldn't those championships, David, you think, carry some weight in in the heat of battle, in the war room on draft night, mm-hmm. if 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 they ha- if they do have a disagreement, I would think that hey, the guy that built four championship teams would have a little clout and maybe a little leeway, especially early on Mm -hmm. to make some draft decisions or some trade decisions that the owner may or may not disagree with. I would think. Yeah. I wonder if they'll both put on all of their championship rings and wear them in the war room at the same time. I hope so. And then just play it like, play like a game of knuckles. That'll be the deciding (laughs) I mean, this this whole personal inner relationship is interesting because you can look at it two ways. I mean, MJ, again, gets criticized for bringing in his inner circle, people that you would think would not be able to tell him no. Um, and I don't see Kupchak being on the other side of that as being, like, intimidated by by Jordan. You know, he's been around these things long enough so that he can speak his voice when he wants to. Now, ultimately, you know, it stops at MJ, of course, but but I, I don't see him, you know, biting his tongue on if, if he feels strongly about a player or, or a move. Uh, he's going to let it be known. All right, so the Hornets wrapped up their season against the Indiana Pacers. This has been 
definitely a disappointing season, a frustrating season for a lot of people, maybe none uh, more than head coach Steve Clifford. He talked to the media yesterday about some of those frustrations and some of those disappointments. I want to read a few quotes here, and we can discuss it as we wrap this show up. Uh, Steve Clifford saying, This is the first year in the five years I've been here that we did not make good progress during the season. He then went on to discuss how, you know, the goal, David, was for this team to be somewhere in the 10 to 12 range offensively. They didn't they didn't know how great an offensive team that that this uh, roster could really aspire to. But he thought they could be a top five defensive team, thought they really had to be a top five defensive team, lock teams down and do just enough offensively to win basketball games. And they ended up uh, in that 15, 16, 17 range. And and Clifford said, ultimately, that was their downfall. Is that your assessment of of where things are generally with the Charlotte Hornets or where they were this season? Yeah, I mean, and I think that's what a lot of people are pointing to right now when they see the need for a possible change up top. I mean, that was his calling card, and that's how he built his team to win. And he knew they had to perform that way on the defensive end, and, and they just couldn't do it. You know, injuries are a big part of that. Uh, some new players in the mix probably had something to do with that. But for them to be successful, it's clear, you know, they didn't have the players to be a dynamic offensive team, <laughs> you know. Uh, they, they didn't have the shooting. Up. I think specifically, yeah. they just did not have enough sh- shooters to space the floor and and score in the half court. And so you saw them get out into transition far more than they have under any point mm-hmm. in Steve Clifford's tenure. They they were more aggressive defensively up front to try to steal the basketball and get it into transition, score quick with Kemba, with Lamb, with MKG. Did a lot of his damage in transition this season. So they did some. They tried to do some things offensively to compensate for the fact that when they got into the half court, it was it was a mix of the not being able to get into the paint because the floor was shrunk, uh, missing three point shots, and some questionable post offense by Dwight Howard. Yep. I'm looking up and where they ranked, where they finished defensively after the final set of games. So they finished 16th. Amazingly, David, they finished 107 in terms of offensive rating, defensive rating, they finished 107, 107. So a net rating of zero. They, the <laughs> offense canceled out the defense and vice versa. Uh, if you, Steve Clifford was asked about those defensive struggles and he said, if you watch the better teams play, Guys that can't either guard their guy or be good team defenders, they need to score 23-24 a night because in the game there is so much more space on the floor now that if you're, you're getting crushed off the dribble because your guy can't begin to guard his position, it makes it hard. So as, as team offenses become uh, more ball movement focused, more pick and roll focused, more space the floor focused, and you're seeing more... Uh, smaller lineups, more five-out lineups that force you to make difficult decisions on every single screen. What Clifford is saying here is that if you have an inability at one position and God help you two positions to switch screens, then then you're going to be in a very difficult position uh, over the course of the 48 minutes that that you're playing. And you saw the Hornets really struggle when they broke the lineup, I think, specifically. And David, 
are there players that you'd like to point to as as not being able to really hold their own defensively? Because Clifford's not going to do that. He's not going to hang yeah. a player out on the line. But that we can do that. We can talk about some players <laughs> that struggled defend. Not really. Just we have to just call it like just it is. Just put in bad we spots, sh- right? Right. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Frank Kaminsky often found himself in no man's land with some of the matchups they asked him to be a part of. And Can't switch. Gonna, he cannot switch screens. Yeah, and, and just has trouble still moving his feet, and he's out of place, you know, down low a little bit, banging with ultra big guys, and then he can't stay with most players out on the wing, not in today's game. So th- that's one of the big spots. And so if he's not shooting and filling it up like he did, you know, I think better this season but not to the level, as Clifford said, to make up for, you know, what he's kind of giving up on the defensive end. I mean, that's the first guy that comes to mind for me. And oftentimes when you had another big guy out there without him, I mean, I mean, with him at the same time, it just doubled down on that and bench units on the other end could really take advantage if they had any guys that were of that three and D cal- type on the other end. The, the two things that, that Clifford would point out multiple times in this press conference uh, that lead – to success in today's NBA position, then this has a lot to do with this NBA draft coming up and the decision that the Hornets have to make over the next several drafts, I would think. Positional size and versatility. And when you're talking about playing Frank Kaminsky at the five, you're talking about giving something up in terms of positional size. And then when you play him at the four, you're giving something up in terms of defensive versatility because he struggles with guarding the smaller, quicker fours. But I will, in fairness to Frank, he was not the sole problem defensively on this team. They could not contain the basketball, and it didn't matter if they broke the lineup or not. They struggled. I felt like Marvin Williams was a player that dropped off significantly defensively this season. He was one that could be not that couldn't be counted on to contain the basketball. I thought at times Kimball Walker and, and Nick Batum struggled to keep the ball out of the paint, especially when playing with some of those uh, bench unit players. They're going to go over the tape, and and I think they're going to discover that, and you heard Clifford speak to this a little bit, different things on different nights, and it speaks to uh, an overall there, – there was something missing from this team, David, that probably isn't – uh, all that quantifiable, whether you want to call it uh, a belief or a a I don't I don't know what you want to call it, but but there was something intangible missing from this team where they could not put it together defensively throughout games and offensively at the end of games, and and I think some of that's personnel, but I think some of that uh, comes from. Uh, leadership. We're going to get into some of the quotes that uh, players had tomorrow. Kimba, Marvin, MKG all had some interesting thoughts about this. But I, but I think there there are going to be when you look back at this season. When you look back at two seasons ago, I think it was pretty clear that injuries to the backup point guard position and injuries to the front court really hobbled that team uh, significantly enough to knock it out of playoff contention. This team had enough talent. Throughout the year, the the Nick Batum injury certainly made things more difficult, but it was not a death blow by any stretch of the imagination. This team had plenty of opportunities to recover and succeed, and for for whatever reason, just could not. Yeah, and you mentioned the backup point guard situation. That's that's another thing. But you're right. There was something 
some spark, some, you know, burst of energy or, or something that we had seen in past years, the Jeremy Lin roster comes to mind when I always think of, you know, that extra boost that you would see kind of on the bench during games. And not that these guys weren't supportive, but just on the court, you, there, there was just so I, I don't even know if it was energy. It was almost like, I don't know, just a, they had been worn down almost, you know, it felt like the franchise as a whole, even the fan base, once the season started to be a struggle, yeah. this feeling of here we go again. Yeah. And, you know, is this, how do we change this? You know, where do we go? Can we change this with the personnel? we have and and the and the groupings that we have and it was you know they obviously couldn't yeah when you build a team over the course of several seasons when you build a team that is so dependent on on skill on on seeing the ball go through the basket you know on on three point shots going in like when when you're so dependent on things like that because you don't have the positional size and and versatility that you need to succeed defensively when when they took just a little bit of that shooting away, I feel like a lot of confidence was zapped out of this team. And again, I I just, I always contrast this team the past few seasons to what's been going on in Miami. And and I feel like Miami is the model of the future of the NBA and whatever the Hornets have been attempting over the past couple of seasons, I think has, has ceased to work. And they have a lot of work to do this offseason to probably move this ship more in the direction of what Spolstra and Riley have been doing over in Miami by um, by what you've heard Mitch Kupchak talk about in his press conference, which is the rules in the NBA today suit athletes. They suit athleticism. They suit players who can get it, get up and down quickly and uh, and can you know, be unleashed defensively and switch. I mean, that's why Boston was so successful defensively is because one through five, they could switch you. And and they knew how to switch back as well, which is a whole nother layer that the Hornets, um, they couldn't even get to because they couldn't switch to begin with. So uh, there, there's a lot to examine. We're going to talk about what the players had to say, and then we're going to dive deep into each player and the head coach, Steve Clifford, as these weeks go on. So uh, thanks for listening to us here on Locked on Hornets. A lot of fun ahead. Uh, We'll talk to you tomorrow. For David, I'm Doug. Go Hornets. Go America. Let's swarm sharp. Sharp.